0: I've entitled this today, it's a little different name, Saving the Saved. Saving the Saved. You might say, what in the world is that about? Well, I think you're going to get it today, very early on in what this is getting at, because there are a lot of people who have been saved by grace through faith, whose lives are being destroyed. Their lives are disasters, And so the word save has the idea of deliverance. Now, how can a person who's been delivered from hell, isn't it automatic that their life is going to be delivered from destruction? Well, the answer to that is no. We know that when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their savior, as their payment for sin, that God saves them from hell forever. Now, let me say this today. If you think you can lose your salvation, you probably don't have biblical salvation. Because if you can lose your salvation, you don't have everlasting life. Well, everlasting life is what God gives when a person puts their faith in Christ as their Savior. So if you can lose your salvation, you don't have what God says is salvation. When we put our faith in Christ, God saves us forever. In John chapter 5, as we see... John chapter 5 and verse 24. Jesus is speaking. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him, or literally believeth him that sent me. He was talking about the witness of the Father. The Father witnessed that Jesus is God. That he is, in fact, God the Son. And he is deity. So Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Path possesses now everlasting life. Now look at the promise, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed or has passed from death unto life. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ the Savior, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Yes, we're being saved from the power of sin in our lives, that's true, and one day we'll ultimately be saved or delivered from the very presence of sin. That's justification, sanctification, glorification. I'm not going to get into a lot of that today. But understand this, friends. If you happen to be visiting today and you're not sure where you're going when you die, let me say on the front end today how you can be sure of that before you ever leave. You can leave here today knowing that you have a home in heaven. Let me illustrate it. If this represents you and me, and we're going to let this wallet represent our sin, things we do wrong, we all do things wrong, including me. We're all sinners, according to God. God loves us, though. God hates our sin, but he loves us. Now, to go to heaven, though, to get into heaven, you have to be without any sin. Well, that kind of leaves us all out, doesn't it? Heaven is a perfect place, the Bible says. No sin will dwell in heaven. So then how am I going to get there? If my sin has to be gone and I'm a sinner, how am I going to get rid of my sin? Not only that, but God says this. He's a God of justice. And if we die with our sin, God says we're going to be lost forever, separated from God in a literal hell. But God loves us. God doesn't want us to go there. And so he did something to make it possible for us to go to heaven. You might say, well, okay, what he did was he gave us the commandments. And if we keep the commandments, we'll go to heaven. No, number one, no one keeps the commandments completely. And you have to keep them perfectly from the day you're born to the day you die. No one does. Why? Because we're sinners. We violate God's laws and commandments, but keeping the commandments won't take away sin. We need a death payment for our sin. If we do it, there'll be no end to it. We'll be lost forever. But God so loves us, hates our sin, but loves us. That's why he came to this world in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. This hand represents him. You notice he has no sin. We're the sinners. He has none. And when Jesus came and he died on the cross, it wasn't for himself that he died. It was for you that he died. If you're the only person ever born, he would have died for you. That's how much he loves you. And when he died on the cross, he didn't just die to die, he died to pay for sin, your sin, my sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took that sin upon himself, and he made the payment, leaving us nothing to pay for. He was buried, he rose from the grave, and he says this, if you'll put your faith in him that he did that for you, you put your faith in him that he paid for your sins. That's all he's asking you to do. You believe. The moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. The payment he made is good on your behalf. The moment you trust Christ, your sins are forgiven. He gives you everlasting life. And notice how he puts it. He who believes has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed or has passed from death unto life. These are promises from God himself to you and me. When he was here, God who cannot lie, God who cannot make a mistake, promised if you will put your faith in him that he paid for your sins, he will give you as a gift everlasting life. Your good works can't save you. Doing your best won't get you to heaven. As it says here, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works not of works, lest any man should boast. I am so glad I understood that when I was 19 years old. Now, you see, I was raised in religion that basically said, good boys go to heaven, bad boys go to hell. You better be good if you want to go to heaven. My question always was, well, how good do I have to be? And they told me, you'll know. You'll just know. Well, you can't know. The truth of it is this, you got to be perfect. Yeah, that leaves us all out, doesn't it? And that's why Jesus came, was to die in our place. He made the death payment that we deserve to make. He did it for us. And he says, if you believe I did it for you, the payment I made is good to your account. I'll put it to your account. You go to heaven on what Christ has done for you. He says here, he gives you everlasting life. Here's the promise. You will not come into condemnation. You'll never be condemned. You won't go to hell, but... You've passed. You've passed from death unto life. You know what? It's a one-way door, folks. Here I am, lost sinner. I understand what Christ has done. I put my faith in Christ the Savior. I enter into heaven. The door is closed behind me. I'll never come into condemnation. I never go. I can go, never go back to condemnation. I've passed from death unto life. I have eternal life. I know I'm going to heaven today, not because I'm a pastor, Because I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, and he promised I would never be lost again. Wow. Everlasting life. Now, isn't that the most wonderful thing in all the world? And it is. To know no matter what, successes or failures in life, you got a home waiting for you in heaven because your faith was put into Jesus Christ. So we are saved from the penalty of sin. We have everlasting life and will never come into condemnation. And this is an amazing and glorious truth. But why is it that there are so many Christians, people who are saved, genuinely saved? Why is it that there are so many Christians whose lives are either destroyed already or are on their way to being destroyed? By one thing or another. Oh no, they're just not real Christians. Baloney. Listen, folks, even though we're saved and forgiven, we still have a sin nature. And the wages of sin is still death, it still destroys life, it still wrecks people's lives. Listen, there are Christians in jail today, people who are saved people. They're in jail because of some crimes they committed or some issue in life, and that's why they're there. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, this person's in jail. They must not be a Christian. I'll go in there, and I'll—and we used to do this. We used to have a jail ministry in Foley at the Benton County Jail, and we used to go in there, and you talk to some people, and and you give them the gospel, and they say, oh, yeah. I'm saved. You are? Yeah, I trusted Christ when I was a kid. When I was in Awana, I put my faith in Christ. It's like, why are you here? Why is you? God has something better for you as a believer, as a child of God, than to have your life destroyed through wrong choices. It's not God's will for his children. So today we are looking at how to save the saved, not from hell but from destroyed lives. And that is a biblical concept, by the way. God wants us as believers to have our lives delivered. That's what save means to deliver. That's what the word save means to deliver. God wants our lives. We've already had them delivered from hell to heaven. He wants our lives, our everyday lives to be delivered from destruction into the blessing of of God. So that's what we're looking at. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7. Paul continues with Timothy, says, "...but refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little." There's some profit to it. "...but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come." Now we left off at this last week, but as believers... He wants us to not only, it's good to be physically fit, but more importantly, more importantly, for us to be spiritually fit as God's children. As believers, spiritual exercise brings God's blessings into our lives, both now and in eternity in the form of rewards. You see, not only will everybody who's put their faith in Christ go to heaven when they die, but depending on how you lived your life after you were saved, God says there's extra blessing and reward and honor for those who faithfully live for Christ. To what extent? That's up to God. That's up to God. And that's a concept that we don't have time to expand today. We will be doing that, by the way, in the future. After First Timothy, we're going to be doing a series on the judgments of God. And you want to be here for that. It's something that you're not going to hear a lot of places, but the Bible, it's one of the themes throughout Scripture, the judgments of God. And so you'll want to be here for that series. But you notice at First Timothy 4, 7, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now, what do we see? Well, first of all, we see the need here in verses 8 through 11, the need for spiritual exercise. Spiritual exercise or spiritual Muscle exercises. We call them around here, we call them either the four talks or the four disciplines. I have never known a believer who, from the heart, from the heart now, not just going through the motions. You do this because you know you need it and you have a passion for it. I've never known a believer that, from the heart, who practices the four spiritual muscle exercises or the four disciplines. That does not have a great level of success in their Christian life. That doesn't have a consistency. God will help you develop consistency in your life if you will practice these. These are not mindless activities to do, but a path and a way to exercise ourselves spiritually and be what God wants us to be. This is for the believer. These are straight from God himself. So it isn't a matter of, okay, you got your little checklist for the day on your phone or on your calendar or whatever. Okay. Okay. Read my Bible. Let's see. Uh, there, there's a verse. Okay unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. Okay, great. I read my Bible today. By the way, that, that was Daniel 1-7. But anyways, that's the first part of the verse. So I read my Bible today. Now I need to pray. God, help me today be a good Christian. Okay, prayer is taken, of. Whoo! Good. Let's see. I need to meet with Christians. Well, I had breakfast together with the family this morning. Does that count? Okay, that's taken care of. Well, what's the last thing on the thing? Oh, I need to share the gospel with the lost... People. So I'll just drive down division here in St. Cloud and throw a track out the window there. That's all taken care of. I'm good to go. Man, I feel stronger already. Let me tell you something. That's not what God's getting at. He's talking about having a passion for him and exercising these things and doing these things and making these a part of the way you live your Christian life. And if you do, your life will be delivered from destruction. Every Christian's going to heaven. But God not only wants us to go to heaven, he wants our trip there to be fruitful and productive. Do you get it? So let's look at these, okay? We need to study our Bibles every day. Study it. This is where God talks to us. Look at some of the benefits. Psalm 1, if you want to look at it, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, blessed. Isn't it interesting? The entire book of Psalms begins with the word blessed. It means happy. God says, okay, here's how to be happy. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight, you love it, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate when? Day and night. You think about it all day long. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall Prosper. Now, we won't spend a lot of time on the details because I have so much to give you today. But in verse 3, what are some of the benefits of doing that? Stability. You'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. There will be stability there because you'll develop a good root system. Fruitfulness. You'll be fruitful as a Christian. Consistency. Consistency. His leaf also shall not wither. You'll be consistent, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. There will be spiritual blessings. Now, I don't know about you. I look at that, and I say, okay, verses 1 through 3, God promises me if I will delight in the Word of God and think about it and meditate on it. The word meditate means you mull it over in your mind. You don't just glance at it and run. You mull it over in your mind. You think about it. And what does he promise me? My life will be stable. I will be fruitful. I will have consistency. And I will have spiritual blessings. Now, who wouldn't want that? Well, that's all good, but I don't have time for that. No, you have time for it. It's just that you're... If you say you don't have time, that means other things are occupying the time you need to devote to this. Cut some junk out. Okay? Cut some junk out. Junk like what? Nightly news. Cut it out? Isn't it the same thing all the time? It's the same thing all the time. How enraged can we make you tonight? (laughs) My mom had it right years and years and years ago. She says, I'm not watching it. My blood pressure, I can feel it going up. (laughs) She was ahead of her time. We need to study our Bibles every day. Secondly, we need to pray. This is where we talk to God. Now, that should be a way of life for us, folks. Prayer is the purest act of faith that there is. 1 Thessalonians 5:17. How simple does it get? It says this: pray without ceasing. Now, for those of you who say, I can't memorize Scripture, I think you can do that one. Pray without ceasing. That means talk to God all day long. In your car. Okay, you're getting ready in the morning. You're in the shower. You're eating breakfast. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're doing housework. You're at work. You're on lunch or whatever. Talk to the Lord. Going for a walk. You're exercising. Talk to the Lord. Take time. Commune with Him. He is, he, as they say, we serve a living Savior. As they sang this morning. Right? He's alive. Let's treat Him like He is. Talk to God. How important is That is. Remember, folks, we have not because we ask not, right? Third, we need to have an active part, an active part in the local church. This is where we talk to each other. So, studying our Bibles, God talks to us. Prayer, we talk to God. The local church, we need to have an active part in the local church. We talk to each other, so to speak. We minister to one another. We find out how each other's doing. We pray for one another. Okay, we encourage one another. There's been a lot of encouragement here today, and it's not over. And you know, you'll leave and you'll be encouraged by the encouragement you gave and the encouragement you received. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, not forsaking. The assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, folks, something we've noticed in the last year, particularly, I started noticing it right after COVID. People start hanging out at church a little bit longer. You know why? Because you know in your heart you need it. That's why. You need to be with other believers, you need that fellowship. Iron sharpening iron. We need to encourage one another. And the best time to do that is listen, I know when I'm going to see so and so. It's a church. I'm going to be a church. I'm going to be there to be an encouragement. Not only to receive encouragement, but to give it. If all we are are receivers, we're consumers. That's not the plan of God. I fit somewhere in the body of Christ. And so do you if you're saved. You need to be ministering to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, of course, sharing the gospel with the lost. More about that in a moment. See, folks, here's the truth. You need the local church, and the local church needs you. We all need to be responsible, and we all need to be faithful. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 16, he says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which... Notice what it says on the screen. Every joint supplies. Well, I'm not important. That's not what God says. Well, I don't have a ministry. That's not what God says. Well, I don't know what my ministry is. Wait a minute. Are you looking for a title or are you looking to serve the needs of other people? Ministry is serving the needs of other people. You may or may not get a title down the road from that, but that doesn't matter. Who cares about titles? Aren't we all one in Christ? Yeah, certain people have certain gifts and abilities. That goes without question. That's anywhere. But we need to care. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of, notice it, every part, every part, read me. Does that make sense? According to the effectual working in the measure of me. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You are part of the result of this church growing and reaching more people for Christ. I had somebody, I've corresponded with this person a couple times. All right, this person used to be a member of our church. Unfortunate things happened the family left the church, the husband and wife got divorced. Both of them got remarried. Well, this man has been corresponding with me. He says, I'm watching you online. He says, I was wondering if I could get some of your tracks. I've been sharing the gospel with people. He doesn't live locally here. He lives in another part of the state. I've been sharing the gospel with people, and I was wondering if I can get some. Yeah, we can get you some tracks. I said, but this is where we get them, because he wanted a large number. I said, we'll get you everything we can. Now, because of physical problems that have come into his life, he's not able to come here and get them himself. But I said, if you're ever in St. Cloud, please drop by. Let's have some coffee together. Let's fellowship. Here's a guy who's still concerned for lost people, trying to reach lost people for Christ. And so I told him where we got him, and through Quentin Road Baptist Church and In Grace Ministries in Lake Zurich, Illinois. And he contacted them. He was going to buy them, and they gave him a whole bunch of them for free. Why? Because we're in this together. And so he was telling me about a three-mail, and I just wrote him yesterday morning. I said, listen, let's just partner together, okay? We'll do anything we can for you. And in the meantime, you point people to our ministry, says, I watch you online. It's kind of like being there. And I said, well, there's nothing like live if you can ever make it live. You know, visit, be here. We'd love to see you again. Isn't that great? Folks, all of us have a part if we'll just take it seriously. So Bible study, sincere Bible study. God talks to us. He speaks to us through the pages of Scripture prayer, we talk to God through sincere, continual prayer. Three, we talk with each other and encourage and exhort one another through the local church ministry and through phone calls and visits and so forth. And then fourth, we need to share the gospel with the lost. We need to share the gospel with the lost. This is where we talk to those who aren't saved. We share Christ with them. Look with me to John chapter 15. We'll be back to 1 Timothy in just a moment. John chapter 15. I love this. Now, maybe you've read this passage before and you've never looked at it as something having to do with sharing the gospel. I believe that is the main point here in John chapter 15. Jesus talking to his disciples And he was telling them about what the future was going to be, and in some ways it was going to be rough, but he was leaving, but he was going to send the Holy Spirit to be their new comforter, their paraclete, okay, the one who would come alongside them and comfort them and help them. And he says, because of the Holy Spirit, you can still have peace in your life because he will be the comforter when he comes. Now, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, And so you can experience the comfort that he brings by walking by faith. But in John 15, Jesus said this in verse 16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Do you see that? Your fruit should remain. Now think about that. There is no fruit we can bear as believers that has more of a guarantee than a soul one to Christ because they have everlasting life. So, if I want fruit that remains, there's no greater fruit that remains than a soul one to Jesus Christ because they have eternal life. Now listen, we could cover lots of scripture on this. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. We know that. Mark sixteen fifteen, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Acts 1, verse 8. There's so many passages about sharing the gospel with the lost. But folks, this is the heart and soul. This is the bottom line. There's nothing we could do that brings more eternal results. Than leading a soul to Christ. That's why we always give the gospel. That's why we always explain. That's why Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, do the work of an evangelist because the world needs evangelizing. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says this in verse 9. He says, This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, important scriptures here, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Now, isn't it interesting? There's a distinction there, and I'm glad there is, because there are these people who are roaming the earth called Calvinists, and this is a rough one for them if they're honest with what it says. He is the Savior of all men. Back in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of truth. See, verse 10 here could not be clear. There's two vital points. The first is this. You notice it says, Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men. Now think about that, which leads us to our second point. If he is everyone's Savior, then doesn't it stand to reason that all people can be saved? If not all people can be saved, he's not the savior of all men. Because you can't, if you can't be saved, he can't be your savior. Because you're unsavable. Now a Calvinist believes that there are those who God saves and those who he will not save, refuses to save, has chosen not to save. Well, then he's not the savior of all men. No, God's word says he is the savior of all men men. If He is everyone's Savior, then all can be saved. But you notice in verse 10 it says, especially of those that believe. So in particular, yes, He's the Savior of all men, but it's only those who will put their faith in Him that He saves. Why? Because that's the only way you can be saved. So the invitation is open to all, but the only ones who benefit from the invitation are those who put their faith in Christ as their Savior. Only those who trust in him will be saved. So he doesn't save everyone. He is potentially everyone's savior, but you must trust him as your savior to be saved. This is what the Bible says. Verse 11, these things command and teach. Did you know a pastor has a responsibility to command people to obey God's word and then to teach them how to do it? I said, I don't like the idea of somebody commanding me. I'm my own boss. What a pity. If you're saved, Jesus should be your boss. And his word should direct your life. A pastor's job is to show you what God says and say to you, do what God says to do. That is a pastor's job. Don't get mad at the pastor for obeying the word of God. You ought to thank him for it. This goes along with verse 6 by the way, where it said, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. There you go. Verse 12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit in faith and purity. Now we've seen first and foremost that as we've gone through here, the need for spiritual exercise, we see that in verses 8 through 11. But now we see in our passage, number two, the need to be examples. And we see that in verse 12. Now this, certainly in the context, was directed to Timothy, he was, who was a young pastor. Paul says, don't let anybody despise you because you're young. But the way you keep from people despising you because of your youthfulness, see, people who don't want to cooperate and don't want to obey God's word will always look for a way to attack. Because attacking, in their mind, eases their conscience of responsibility. The truth of it is it doesn't work that way. But God says to Timothy, look, you're going to be attacked, but here's how you deal with being attacked. You be the example God has called you to be. Now, folks, that's not only good for the young pastor. That's also good for you and me. The best thing you can do as a believer as you live your life for Jesus Christ is to be an example of the believer in every area of life. You might say, well, people will still attack. Yes, they will. But you know what? They'll look foolish attacking the Christian who's living as a godly example. It's written for every Christian. We are to be examples By the way, age is not an excuse for carnality. I have found over time that as some folks who were at one time very vibrant and plugged in and excited about the things of God, as they get older, and listen, I understand we get tired uh, sometimes more quickly as we get older, but as we get older, folks, that's not an excuse to be carnal. That's every reason to be godly. We should be the ones leading the way. Through many years of faithful living we've seen the faithfulness of God. We ought to be able to live a life and saying, "Hey, listen, let me tell you something." What I gave my life to as a young Christian when I dedicated my life as a believer, once I was saved, and I've lived for Christ all these years, I want to tell you something. Every minute was worth it. God never fails, and you can trust him as a believer with your life not only do you trust them to get you to heaven but you can trust them with the here and now god will be faithful to you he will not fail you he will not forsake we should be able to do that be an example of the believer what areas aren't you glad god gives us lists i like lists especially when they're in scripture makes preaching a lot easier (laughs) lord give me an outline read it dummy it's right there Well, I don't know if he'd say dummy. Probably say ignorant child. (laughs) Be an example. What? Well, first in word. That's what we say. See, folks, our words should be words of truth and edification, not crude or corrupt or false or destructive talk. There's no room for destructiveness, okay, where we're tearing each other down. What good is it to tear each other down? That doesn't mean we don't stand on the truth, but don't tear down other people's character. Listen, there's no place for Christians, especially preachers, to tell off-color jokes. Nobody should be doing it, but don't tell off-color jokes. Well, I heard this joke at work. And you tell, it's like, man, I can't believe you repeated that. Don't do that. We ought to be examples, okay? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth the word corrupt, it's a description of rotting fruit in the marketplace. <laughs> Let's not have rotten talk, but edifying talk. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So we need to be the example in word. Secondly, in conversation. Now this is an old King James word. And here it doesn't just mean what we say, but it's referring to the life we live, our lifestyle, our behavior. We ought to behave ourselves like Christians should. We're children of God, let's behave like children of God, right? Philippians 1.27 talks about that. Next, in charity, the word charity is the word agape, love. In how we respond to others and treat others, people Jesus said all men would know that we are his disciples if we have love one towards another Ephesians 5 in verse 1 says be therefore followers or imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling saviour are we walking in love you know what that means? We're putting other people in front of ourselves. Listen, every person is a ministry. Do you know that? Every person is a ministry, saved or lost. Look at that person, think, what can I do to make that person's life better? Maybe a word of encouragement, maybe a kind word. Maybe it's a kind of thing where you some, see somebody going in a destructive path and you take your arm around them and you exhort them a little bit and say, hey, you know, Listen, I'm not trying to be mean, but this is not good, the direction you're going. Oh, listen, I know that can backfire, but doesn't love do that? Don't we do that with our children? Yes, we do that with our children. Caring for people, that's love. In spirit, this is the next one. The word spirit means our attitude. What is our attitude? Are you a... An enthusiastic, excited believer, or do you have an Eeyore complex? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you know who Eeyore is? Oh, wow, look at all these Winnie the Pooh people. Okay. This is interesting. Hey, brother, how are you doing today? I'm okay. <laughs> under the circumstances. What are you doing under the circumstances? Listen, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, listen, folks, I'm not making, making light of people who are struggling with issues in life. I know that. And you know what? We need to be there for them. But there are some people who they have learned to live under a cloud of their own making. Why are we doing that? We don't need to do that. We need to be an example of proper Christian spirit. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we can be excited. That's why it says in Philippians 4.4, 4, by the way, written by Paul in jail, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. If he could say it, why can't we say it? In faith. We need to be an example in faith. We believe what God says in his word and we trust in him. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. In purity pure from defilement, not contaminated. We as believers, by the grace of God, should live holy lives. Let me tell you something, folks. Let me say this. If you are watching perversion, and I'm not just talking about pornography, that's a given. Nobody should be involved in that. But if you're involved with that or perversion or evil, wicked, brutal videos and stuff like that, if that's where your head is, if you're listening to music that promotes immoral, immoral behavior and wickedness and rebellious attitudes, it should have no place in the life of the Christian. And so I don't want to hear this. You need to hear it. Is this not what God teaches in his word? That he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or conduct, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's not legalism. That's Bible. This is Peter talking under the inspiration of the Spirit. We should be examples in all of these areas. And can I tell you this, folks? The longer we rationalize carnal behavior, the more we're robbing ourselves of the blessings that God wants us to have, both here and in eternity. We ought to just be honest with God and say, oh Lord, I surrender to you as a child of God. I want your will for my life. There should be, folks, there should be a visible difference of the invisible difference. By the way, all of us are teachers. Did you know that? All of us are teachers. Well, I never went to college to be a teacher. You don't need to. We are all teachers through our example, every one of us, doesn't matter what your age is. We teach not only with words, but by example, by attitudes, and by character, by character. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery here you go. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, completely to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed to thyself and unto the doctrine, the teaching, continue in them. For in doing this, here you go, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This is not talking about getting to heaven, salvation. This is talking about delivering your life from destruction. Saving the saved. That's what it's talking about. Saving the saved. God wants our lives as believers to be delivered from destruction. Yeah, we're going to heaven when we die. But until then, he wants our lives to matter. And that's through applying these important truths. We'll pick up on this next week. Let me say this. Perhaps you're here today and you've never put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you today trust in him as your savior? He wants to give you everlasting life in heaven. It is a gift. He bought and paid for it through the blood of his son. Jesus died to pay your sin debt in full, so you don't have to. He doesn't want you to end up in hell. He wants you to end up in heaven. And you can have that guarantee today if you will trust in Jesus Christ to get you to heaven if you'll believe that he's paid for all your sins. Would you do that? You might say, well, what if I'm not faithful to all this stuff we, we've covered? This is for the one who's already saved, this, this other stuff we covered today. The biggest issue we all face is where we go and when we die, because that's forever. It's forever. And the only way you can be sure of going to heaven if you, is you, you put your faith in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's not by your works, it's by what he did on the cross. So would you trust in him as your Savior today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.